comfort. Comfort and ease. We all like comfort and ease. I think that's the Americans, my personal opinion, that is most Americans' idols are comfort and ease. We don't like anything that messes with our comfort, and we don't like anything that messes with our ease. And if we do, we get a little upset. But comfort is interesting to me because comfort is something that we try to have all around us. When we go to our homes, we buy comfortable furniture, right? We don't go to the store to buy furniture and sit on the furniture and say, oh man, that's way too hard. Nobody's going to come and visit me. But we have comfortable furniture that we can sit on, that we can lay on, that we can sleep on. At our dinner tables, we have comfort food. We have comfort in our spouses. But not only comfort, but we look for peace in our lives. We look for peace in our finances. Dave Ramsey actually has a program called Financial Peace which probably is good, but it probably doesn't bring total peace. Financially, we like to be comfortable also. We have our pensions. We have our 401ks. We have our IRAs. We have our savings accounts that are built up. So comfort and peace. And there's nothing wrong with having these things. But what happens when God takes it all away? What happens when God takes all your comfort away? What happens when he takes all of your peace away? Do we still trust and find comfort and peace in the supreme sovereignty of God? We live in a chaotic world. We live in chaotic times. And sometimes our lives can be even chaotic. But that does not change the fact that God is supremely sovereign in who he is and in what he does. As we look at these attributes of God, his holiness and his sovereignty, we have to understand that God's not a pie chart. He operates 100% of everything and on max all the time. He is not 20% sovereign and 20% holy and 20% gracious. No, he's 100% sovereign. He's 100% holy. He's 100% gracious. He's 100% merciful. He's 100% wrathful. And he operates on max all the time. And we have to understand that when we look at these attributes of God, that this is for the Trinity, uh, within the Trinity, It's just not God the Father is sovereign. No, God the Son is sovereign. God the Holy Spirit is sovereign. It's the triune God that is sovereign. We have to understand these things. So what does sovereignty mean? It means absolute rule and authority. It's God's right to govern over all of his creation. From his throne, he he governs over all the created order. And we have to understand that if God is not omnipotent or all-powerful, he cannot be sovereign. And if God is not omniscient or all-knowing, he can't be sovereign. And if God is not the most free being ever, he cannot be sovereign. Because if he's not free, that means he's got limits. And if he's not all-knowing, then that means somebody knows more than him. And if he's not all-powerful, then that means somebody is more powerful than him. 
So his omnipotence and his omniscience and his freeness is three things that he is that makes him completely and fully sovereign over all. Listen to Isaiah 46.10. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purposes. This is sovereignty. So as believers... How do you and I, how do we apply this sovereignty to our lives? How do we apply this sovereignty to our lives? Now, this sermon might create more questions, which is good, because I'm just going to talk on God's sovereignty and Him being sovereign. God's sovereignty does not eliminate our responsibility. But time would not have us to, to look at that. So I want to look at God in his glorious, his supreme sovereignty. So the first point I want us to look at as believers, that the believers worship. The believers worship. We worship God because of his supreme sovereignty. This is what we do. So what does supreme mean? Supreme means highest in rank. God is the highest of all. He is chief. He is the uncreated. There is no one and there is nothing that exceeds him. He is supreme in power, supreme in rank, supreme in authority. He is absolutely supreme. And this should drive our worship. Psalms 103.19 says this, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Not some, but all. Simply, God does not have term limits. God can never be impeached because he is supreme ruler. The Catholic Church, as we saw in the Nicene Creed, calls Peter the supreme pastor. But he's not supreme. Only one is supreme, and that is God. He's the only one that is supreme. The Psalms declare that he reigns supreme. Psalms 93.1, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength of his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Psalm 96.10, saying among the nation, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the people with equity. There is no challenge to his supreme sovereignty. God in his sovereignty, he is unequaled, he is unchallenged, and he is unrivaled. No one can stand against this supreme sovereignty of who he is. Psalms 115.3, our God is in heaven and he does what he pleases. He does not ask permission from anybody. He is in heaven. He does all that he pleases. Psalms 135.6 puts it this way. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Simply put, God is God and that is it. He does what he pleases, when he pleases, where he pleases, with whom he pleases. And no one can challenge that. Because he is supremely sovereign. He sits on his throne in majesty and splendor. And his eternal decree will be 
pushed forward because he is the one who has decreed it to go forward. No one can thwart it. No one can stop it. His eternal decrees will take place. Job 40 says this, 9 through 12. Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? That's a good question to ask yourself. That's a good question to put yourself in a proper spot that you're not God. He continues, Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourself with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand. We don't have an arm like God. We can't thwart his will. Psalm 42, or Job 42.2 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Nothing can be thwarted. God is so sovereign. His eternal decree cannot be changed by us. And there's times that we think we're the sovereign ones, right? We have all rule. We have all power. We have all the answers. We're all knowing. But we're not. We're not. And we must bow the knee to the one who is gloriously in splendor sovereign over all of his created works. Not only this, but God has declared the beginning from the end. Listen to Isaiah 46, 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will do it. This is his sovereignty. This is his supreme rule. As believers, we know that God is on his throne. But as unbelievers, unbelievers, they don't like God being on his throne. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. One of his sermons, he says this, Men will allow God to be everywhere except on his throne. They will allow him to be in his workshop to fashion worlds and make stars. They will allow him to be in the almonry to dispense his alms and bestow his bounties. They will allow him to sustain the earth and bear up the pillars thereof. But when God ascends the throne, his creatures then gnash their teeth. His throne is not the God they love. I thought that's just staggering. When he ascends his throne, we're okay as he is the tinkerer in the workshop. We're okay when he's given us blessings and, and uh, from his bounties. But when he ascends the throne, that's when we get angry with him. And I think the reason why we get angry with him is because then we have to take ourselves off the throne and acknowledge him as the supreme sovereign king of the universe. So as believers, our worship should be driven by his supreme sovereignty. Secondly, our peace, our peace is in his sovereign kingship. Our sovereign kingship. I don't know who said it, but one said that God's sovereignty is the pillow that we lay our head on when we go to bed at night. So our peace comes from his kingship, his rule, 
God in his sovereignty rules over all kings and kingdoms. God is sovereign over all governments and institutions. He is in control of all government affairs. Our president is not sovereign. God is sovereign. Putin is not sovereign. God is sovereign. We have peace because we know that God is sovereign. We can lay our heads on the pillow of his sovereignty and go to sleep at night. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.15. Which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. The king of kings and Lord of lords. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Daniel 4.3 says this. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Those words were spoken by King Nebuchadnezzar. This is what he says of God's kingdom. And he had a mighty kingdom. He had a mighty empire. It was the head of gold. And if Nebuchadnezzar knew anything, he knew that God was sovereign. When Daniel writes the book of Daniel, we see God's sovereignty all through the book of Daniel. From Jehoiakim, God says that he gave Jehoiakim over to Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, God is sovereign to give Daniel the vision, the answer to the dream. In chapter 3, God is sovereign over Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they're burning in the, in, in the, in the fiery furnace. In chapter 4, he's sovereign because he takes the kingdom away from Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 5, we see it again, his sovereignty. Many, many, tackle you parson. When he comes in Belshazzar, he takes the kingdom away and gives it to the Medes and the Persians. And in Daniel 6, we see where God is sovereign in Daniel in the lion's den. He saves Daniel from the mouths of the lions. He shuts them. The book of Daniel is full of God's sovereignty and his absolute control and his eternal decree. And this was one charge from Nebuchadnezzar, that God's kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And after he gets done being a beast, he says this in Daniel 4.34, At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. This is the one we have peace in. We find our peace in the kingship of our sovereign God. He's the one who raises up kings, and he's the one that brings them down. Again, Daniel 2, 21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Isaiah puts it this way in in chapter 40. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princesses to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. This is our God. 
This should drive our worship. This should drive our voices to raise in song. This should get us in the word to see him in his beauty and his glory and his majesty. His sovereignty controls the king's heart. Proverbs 21.1 The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will go. And there's not a government that's out there that does not exist apart from God. Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. We should have absolute peace because our king sovereignly rules. He is seated on his throne. In addition, the believer's comfort is in his supreme rule over all of creation. That means God is in absolute control of every tornado, every earthquake, every tsunami. It's part of his eternal decree. There is nothing outside of his control. Nothing at all. Acts 4, 24. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. He is the creator of all things that we see. Evolution does not exist. It's a myth. It's a fable. It's a way to deny God. It's a way to deny God. And I love evolution because they say over billions of years. That means we will never see the grasshopper turn into a whale because it's over a billion years that that takes place. But God, no, God created the grasshopper and he created the whale. He is the sovereign creator. We find comfort in his being that way. Job 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine you're standing before a whirlwind, a tornado, and out of the tornado's voice comes, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Tell me, since you have understanding. Oh, I think I would probably be messing my pants, to be honest with you. That would probably scare me to death. But this is God coming and talking to Job. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Psalm 33, 6 through 9. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth are their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Psalm 148.5 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Imagine this, that our God in his supreme sovereignty speaks and it happens. He's not in a workshop making worlds. He speaks. He says, let there be light, and there's light. Wow, what supreme power our God has. 
supreme power he has. This is attributed to Jesus in the New Testament. In Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn from creation. For by all things were created, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. And again in Hebrews 1.2, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. There is not one atom, nucleus, quark inside the atom that God is not in sovereign control of or he doesn't hold together by the power of his word. If God does not hold you and I together, brothers, we and sisters, we explode. He holds us together because he is supreme over his creation he is sovereign over that creation furthermore the believers rest is in the sovereign hand of salvation we rest as believers in the sovereign hands of salvation salvation is by christ alone by grace alone through faith alone by the scriptures alone to god be the glory alone there's a lot of alones there None of it's to us. That is our salvation. Christ alone, God alone, faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone. God is sovereign over the death of his son. Sovereign over the death of Jesus, Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoptions of son. Here's where we see the sovereignty. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. That's his sovereign decree. That's his eternal decree. He knew exactly when the son was going to come, and it was the perfect time to redeem us who were under the law. Full control of it. Romans 4.25, Jesus, who was delivered up for us, for our trespasses, and raised for our justifications. Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. That's sovereignty. That's control. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Acts 2, 22 and 23, Peter in his sermon says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. This word definite, the definite and foreknowledge of God, right? Because of God's plan, his definite plan. This word definite means, it means to mark out. It means to appoint or decree, to declare, to determine, to ordain beforehand. This is what took place beforehand. This is what Peter is saying. And this Jesus delivered up according to the ordained, definite, decretive plan of God. Completely sovereign in his son's death. Acts 4.27 and 4.28, For truly in this city you were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, God's hand, and your plan had predestined to take place. He is absolutely 
beautiful in our salvation alone. Alone. So if he is supreme and he is sovereign and we can find rest in his salvation, we can find rest in that he's the one who builds his church. Matthew 6.18 And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church, he says. Acts 2, 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. This is him building the church. He calls people to himself. Acts two forty one. So those who received the word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Acts 4, 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. God is the one who sovereignly builds his church. Numbers-wise and inside-wise, he is the one who builds us. He is the one who grows us according to his sovereign plan. Our salvation our salvation innocent is his sovereign plan. We have to understand one thing. God did not look down the corridor of time to see who would receive him, and then he chose them. That's not how it works. That's not what the Bible says. He did not look down any corridor of time. The Bible is clear how you and I come to salvation. Ephesians 1.4 even as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. There was no corridor of time. Before there was time, God saved us. He chose us in him. Before he even laid the foundations of the world, before any of us did good or bad, he set his affections on you if you're a believer. Ephesians 2.4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were zombies walking around. We were dead. And then the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ entered into us and he made us alive. That's what he did. He made you alive. The reason we can read the scriptures and we read them and they have power to us is because God has made us alive because he is sovereign in our salvation. 1 Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love, steadfast of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. The Bible is so clear. 1 Peter 2.9. What has he chosen us for? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. What are we chosen to do? To proclaim the excellencies of him. We are to preach the gospel. We are to preach Christ crucified. We are to share with the lost the gospel. 
We are to proclaim His excellencies, His holiness, His sovereignty, His immutability, His self-existence. These are His excellencies. Do you do that? Or are you very comfortable where you're at in your Christian faith with what you know and what you proclaim? This sermon's been tough for me. This sermon's been tough for me because it's challenged my life and what I believe in God's sovereignty. Fourth, or fifth. Oh, no, one more thing, sorry. Um, on salvation, it says, all who are appointed under salvation will be saved. Acts thirteen forty-eight. this is our last verse here. And when the Gentiles heard this, this is the gospel, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many were appointed to eternal life believed. This word appoint means to determine or ordain. Again, it's God's appointment. We were appointed unto salvation. Fifth, the believer's hope. The believer's hope is in God's sovereignty in the big and little things. In the big and little things. God is sovereign in our trials. God is sovereign in our tribulations. God is sovereign in our drive to work. God is sovereign in our drive home from work. He is completely sovereign in the big things and in the little things. Do we trust God's sovereignty in the big things and in the little things? Do we trust that God's plan is being carried out fully and completely as it is, even though it's not going according to our plans? But this is the truth. The big things and the little things. For example, when we're born and when, we're, and when we die, can anybody tell me when you knew you were going to be born? Can anybody tell me when you're going to die? You know, I know sometimes parents in here, their, their, their kids probably could have told you when they were going to die. You know, but, uh, but we don't know these things. But God in his sovereignty and in his omniscience and his all-knowing, he knows these things. Right? Listen to what David tells us in Psalm 139.16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. David says that even before I was even born, <clears throat> God, you'd already marked out my days. You knew when I was going to be born and you knew what I, when I was going to die. You'd already marked that out. Brothers and sisters, that's marked out for all of us. Our days are numbered. They're numbered by our sovereign king, our sovereign Lord. He is the one who has marked them out. He knows the very hair on their head. Man, this is absolute rule and control in the little things. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 and 2. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. God is the sovereign ruler over time. He knows these things. We may plan our ways, but he directs our steps. The psalmist is clear, or the Proverbs, Solomon in Proverbs says in 16.9, the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. In Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. 
It's because he is the sovereign ruler over all things, even in our ways, even in our plans. He sovereignly directs all of them. Stephen Lossing says, nothing lies outside the control of God for the good of his people. Romans 8, 28, and we know that those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God simply does all things by the counsel of his will. All these things we've looked at, he simply does them by the counsel of his will. In Ephesians 1, 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Your life, brothers and sisters, is being worked out according to his will, not yours. He is in sovereign control of our lives. Oh, what comfort we should find from that very thing. So you know what this means? God's sovereignty, you know what it means? It means that we, this is our final thing, it means we can boldly proclaim the gospel. We can boldly proclaim the truth of who Christ is and what Christ has done because it's not our gospel. He is sovereign over the preaching of his gospel. He is sovereign over who he's going to save. You preach the word, preach the gospel, share Christ with people, and don't worry about the outcome because the outcome is not up to us. The outcome is up to our sovereign, supreme God who controls all things. So go and preach the gospel boldly to the lost, trusting that the outcome is always in the hands of God. May you and I today worship in, find our peace, comfort, and rest in, and our ultimate hope in the supreme sovereignty of our great God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can take a little glimpse, Lord, at your supreme sovereignty. And Lord, since we looked at just a little glimpse of this, that any one of these points, Father, could be a full sermon in and of themselves, that we could spend the next year, every Sunday, looking at how great you are. Lord, will you just give us a glimpse and give us a little rest that we can trust in your sovereign hand, in your name, amen. Please stand with me as we sing our last song.